The reading today is from 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 to 20, and then we'll be reading from chapter 31, verses 1 to 10. So that's found on page 301 of your Bibles. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it, and had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were taking, talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord, his God. Then David said to Abithal, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. Abithal brought it to him, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. David and the 600 men with him came to the Bezor Valley, where some stayed behind. 200 of them were too exhausted to cross the valley, but David and the other 400 continued the pursuit. They found an Egyptian in a field and brought him to David. They gave him water to, to drink and food to eat, part of a cake of pressed figs and two cakes of raisins. He ate and was revived, for he had not eaten any food or drunk any water for three days and three nights. David asked him, Who do you belong to? Where do you come from? He said, I am an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite. My master abandoned me when I became ill three days ago. We raided the Negev of the Kerithites, some territory belonging to Judah, and the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag. David asked him, Can you lead me down to this raiding party? He answered, Swear to me before God that you will not kill me or hand me over to my master, and I will take you down to them. He led David down, and there they were, scattered over the countryside, eating, drinking, and reveling, because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from Judah. David fought them from dusk until evening of the next day, and none of them got away, except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else that they had taken. David brought everything back. He drove all the flocks and herds, and his men drove them ahead of the other livestock, saying, This is David's plunder. And moving on to chapter 31. Now the Philistines fought against Israel. The Israelites fled before them, and many fell dead on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines were in hot pursuit of Saul and his sons. And they killed his sons Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malkishua. The fighting grew fierce around Saul. And when their archers overtook him, they wounded him critically. Saul said to his armour-bearer, 
Draw your sword and run, th- run me through, or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. But the armour bearer was terrified and would not do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. When the armour bearer saw that Saul was dead, he too fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul and his three sons and his armour bearer and all his men died together on that same day. When the Israelites along the valley and those across the Jordan saw that the Israelite army had fled and that Saul and his sons had died, they abandoned their towns and fled. And the Philistines came and occupied them. The next day when the Philistines came to strip the dead, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. They cut off his head and stripped off his armour and they sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim the news in their temple of their idols and among their people. They put his armour in the temple of of the Ashtoreth and fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. Thanks, Natalie, very, very much. It's a tough reading, isn't it? Not the easiest uh, story. But uh, our children are going to go and learn good things from it and then they come back and tell us afterwards and then you get a chance uh, before they do to ask any questions you'd like to ask. So um, uh, keep uh, your mind on what's going on and if there's anything confusing, uh, don't give up hope. We'll try and answer questions later. Okay, so we're going to uh, have a look at... uh, that part of the Bible, the very end of that book called 1 Samuel chapter 30, which we've been looking at week after week, 25 times I think, this is the 25th uh, little outing in 1 Samuel. Uh, So we've been going uh, slowly but doing it well. Now, here's the question to start with tonight. When is God good? Is it when the sun's shining and everything's working out and we can give God the thumbs up and say, yep, God is good? But what if things aren't great? What if the sun goes down a bit? What if the bottom's dropped out of our world with the death of someone very precious to us? Heard about someone like that this week. Oh, what if uh, the sun goes out a bit more? Your marriage ends. Heard about someone like that this week. What happens if uh, depression settles over you and the sun gets blocked off completely? Is that just a question of trusting in God's goodness when the sun goes behind the cloud and you know it's there but you just can't see it and you just hope it's uh, going to come out again? I think these two chapters of the Bible give us a bigger picture of God's goodness than that. In chapter 30 we'll see it when the sun's out and we see that God is good in victory but then in chapter 31 we'll see that God is good in defeat. And I'm hoping by the end you and I will both go home realising that we'll always be looking at God's goodness all the time. So we need to understand these chapters. Well, let's start with chapter 30 and see that God is good in victory. Except, 
what might happen here is that you and I might have a sharp disagreement at this point because you might say, hold on a minute, Mike. If you've got the same chapter 30 that I've got in front of me, things aren't going that well. In fact, there's a lot going wrong, isn't there, when you have a look? If you've been following the plots in, in the previous weeks, you know that uh, God has said that David is going to be the next king of Israel. But the present king of Israel has been trying to kill David at every single opportunity he can, even though David has been trying to save his life every single opportunity he can. But now that king, Saul, who's the present king, he's in desperate trouble. He's about to lose the Philistines. Well, don't jump to the battle. That's in chapter 31. You know how big that defeat is going to be. And it's something everybody knows is going to happen. And David's little plan to rescue Saul has failed. He was hoping to go and fight in that battle and rescue Saul. That's not going to happen. David's been sent home to Ziklag, the place where he lives. And he probably gets there feeling really down. There's a lot that's gone wrong in David's life the last uh, few chapters, but this probably would be a pretty low point for him because he's got to leave his king who he's been trying to save. He's got to be leaving the army that ultimately uh, has people in it that he has known. He's got to leave his best friend Jonathan and he's ultimately going to walk away from his country knowing that they're all going to be engulfed with one massive military defeat. Yeah, you've heard of uh, what's been called the last straw that breaks the camel's back. Well, David's had a lot gone wrong in his life. You might say this is the last straw. It is very hard to leave your friends in the lurch knowing that they are going to die because you aren't there to help them. That is something none of us have had to experience. And it's uh, a difficult um, uh, experience uh, to uh, be in. But it gets worse. Home, when they get there, this place called Ziklag, is a ruined, burnt-out city. The Amalekites, which you might remember, if you've got the elephant memory that keeps on going uh, for weeks at a time, chapter 15 is where Saul was told to kill the Amalekites, get rid of them. Now you see them in their true colours. They are burning down cities, making sure that absolutely no one lives there ever again. So they take away all the hope the people have in that area and the only reason why they keep people alive is because they want to go and make money on them and sell them off as slaves. And there's great weeping when David and his men get back. If you look at chapter 4 uh, of chapter, verse 4 of chapter 30, so David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. And it gets worse. Because his men have lost all confidence in him. His, 
looked after them ever since they joined him, but now, in chapter 22, but now they blame him for taking them away from the city and leaving it unprotected, and so now they've lost everything and have nothing to come home to in their birth city. And it gets worse than that because, well, David probably blames himself. You see, it's not just his men. It's their wives, their children, their whole community, David's own wives and children, uh, relied on him to uh, protect them. They trusted him. Now look, if David can't fulfill that small responsibility of looking over this relatively small group of people, about a thousand or so altogether, well, how on earth is David ever going to take charge of the whole country, which is what God said would happen one day. What sort of king is this guy going to make? He'd be, uh, 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 his personal confidence in himself would have been completely blown away. And I guess some of us can relate to that. You know how it is when life beats you down and then things just get worse. You say, this is the last straw, and then you find there's another straw after that. What victory? Ah, you look at verse 6 and you say, all I can see here is defeat. That's what it says in verse 6. It says, David was greatly distressed. Ah, but keep looking at verse 4. Can you see what's hiding at the end of verse 4? What's uh, there at the end? is that David found strength in the Lord his God. In the worst of times that you and I face in life, uh, there's a lot that we can't do. But there is one thing that is doable for anyone in the worst day, and that is we can talk to God. Now, when Saul was in distress, and the same word is used, if you look at chapter 28, uh, just uh, one page back, chapter 28, verse 15, when Saul was in distress, and he says, I'm uh, in great distress, uh, Saul said, what does he do? He goes and talks to a medium. wants to talk to the dead. But David, when he's in distress, he talks to God, my friend, that is when a person wins. Now, it's not bad to have an emotional release. Uh, That seems to be what's happening in verse 4. They cry. But with everyone else, that's where it ends. With David, he goes, he prays. Now, you might say, well, okay, verse 4 is emotional release. Verse 6 is psychological release. Nah, it's not that. Not when you look at what happens when David prays. And you can see what's happening when David prays because David writes down the kind of things he's talking to God about. Is there in chapter, in, in Psalm verse 18. You might just want to flick to page 551 uh, to Psalm 18. And that uh, records what uh, David is saying to God. And you can see it's not just... Uh, uh, Abigail, you can find uh, page 551, can't you? That's a good thing to do. Um, 
Uh, it's not just a psychological release when you read verse 6, because what you have in Psalm 18 and verse 6, in my distress I call to the Lord, okay, David's in distress, and I call to the Lord, I cried to my God for help, and from his temple he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. My friend, there's no psychological release going on when God is listening to every word. Now, you don't need to take it on the chin and say that uh, uh, the sun's gone behind the cloud, you've just got to trust that it's still there. No, God's goodness hasn't gone away because he is listening. And before anything happens, remember the situation is still the same. No one's come back. Nothing has changed. The city is still burnt and everyone's still gone. But strength comes in. And it is wonderfully personal. David found strength in the Lord, his God. Can you see what he's really saying? Is that his personal relationship with God has just grown strong because he's spoken to him. And that's what it means to win. He knows what God has done in the past for him. He knows what God has promised him in the future. He talks to God on that basis. And the last straw that broke this camel's back has just left David stronger. And he knows there's plenty more camels where that straw came from in the sense that God will continue his goodness towards him. And he does in three ways. First, he gives him direction. Can you see that? He is guided by the God who speaks to him. Verse 7, David said to Abiath the priest, Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. And David inquired of God, and God answers him. Pursue them, and you will certainly overtake them and succeed in this rescue. Now, that's a special word in a special crisis, in this case, with David. But my friend, God is never silent when we speak to him. We don't need to get a priest and pick up an ephod. We have a Bible. And it shows us how to serve God well in the worst possible day of our lives. And God speaks. Second, he helps. Now, you might call it providence, you might call it sovereignty. Uh, what I'm really talking about is that God does things in the ordinary day-to-day -day life that we're in to show that he is in charge. Now, initially, it doesn't seem like that. 200 men drop out in verse 10. Well, that's not surprising because, frankly, they've had to first go quickly from where they were um, uh, with uh, uh, the Philistine forces in Israel. They have to come back to Ziklag and then they pretty much immediately go 60 miles before they get to this place in verse 10 and no wonder they're shattered. 
And you might think, well, that's a bit of a setback, isn't it? If David's lost 200 men out of his 600, that's a third of his army gone. He didn't have a big army in the first place. That's a setback, isn't it? No, it's a set forward. Because now they can look after the baggage. The 400 are now able to move without that tiring um, encumbrance and they can make quicker progress pursuing the raiding party that has got everything and therefore will be travelling slower because of their baggage. So now they're moving quicker. But the trouble is you can move fast but do you any good unless you know where you're going. So that's what God does next. He provides for them an Egyptian satnav. Uh, and in verse uh, uh, 14 uh, you see them. Um, uh, with uh, uh, that uh, Egyptian slave who has been abandoned but in verse 16 he led David down to the raiding party and David then knows what to do when he gets there God helps in the ordinary discovery of things that uh, move his servants forward and then thirdly he blesses I say that because they end up, it just it puts in the positive and the negative, doesn't it? It says first that um, uh, they didn't uh, uh, lose anything uh, or, or he got everything back and then it says not one thing was lost. Uh, verse 18, David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken. Verse 19, nothing was missing. Do you get the point? that actually David comes home if you look at the end of verse 30 with great plunder he ends with more than he started and David makes it very clear that it is God who has been doing the blessing if you look at verse 19 that's what he says uh, nothing is missing and then in verse 23 we didn't read this but David says um, in verse 23 you must not uh, keep from other people what the Lord has given us he has protected us and delivered into our hands the raiding party that came against us that's God's work his divine has provided that great victory and everything that went with it so the victory is that the cloud never ever cuts us off from the sun. Not if God is there to listen and you are there to speak. Nothing cuts you off from his goodness. Later the Apostle Paul wrote these words uh, in Romans chapter 8 verses 38 and 39. The Apostle Paul says, talking about nothing cutting you off from the sun I'm convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons neither the present nor the future nor any powers in other words no clouds neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord we win every time we go and speak to God when the clouds 
obscure his goodness in our lives. That's what reminds us that he is great and it makes our relationship with him stronger on the, harsh, on the, on the hardest day. God is good in victory. But also, he is good in defeat. And again you say, Mike, what's good in chapter 31? I can't see it myself. Well, it is a grim day for Israel. Actually, it's the same day, because while David is winning everything, it's at the same time, Saul is losing everything. It's almost as if the writer of this story has had to rush away from David and he's getting you to chapter 31 verse 1 and the battle is still going on. The Israelites fought against Israel and there they are on the run away from them. And it's actually a great loss, isn't it? You see that in verse 1, the battle is over. Israel is done in. The Philistines fought against Israel and the Israelites fell before them. Many fell dead on Mount Gilboa. Well, you might say, so how do you say that God's in charge when this has happened to his people? But if you were here last week and you read the last chapter, or rather chapter 28, you know that, well... Samuel told Saul this was exactly what was going to happen the next day. And if you were here right from the start of this book, you will know that no words that Samuel spoke ever fell to the ground. Not even after he's dead. And he speaks in chapter 28. Well, that's exactly what happened. In other words, all this is under God's control. And it was uh, written in God's control from a long time back because if you look at chapter 14 and uh, verses 47 to 48, uh, you know that uh, uh, Saul's epitaph, if you like, what you normally write when a person has died uh, to say something about their lives, uh, Saul's epitaph was written way back in chapter 14. So in chapter 14, verse 49, uh, it, uh, uh, 47 onwards, Saul had assumed rule of Israel. He fought against his enemies. Uh, he fought valiantly, defeated the Amalekites, delivering Israel from the hands of those who plundered them. Uh, all that was written way back in chapter 14. So the end has been a very long time coming but it was actually on the cards uh, a good uh, time before. And yet it happens now. And it is interesting isn't it, that when Saul's kingdom ends remember David knew that it would come to an end and he was going to trust God to do it for him. And so he was going to let uh, God either kill Saul off through old age or maybe in battle. But what happens now is uh, a new scenario that, um, uh, that um, 
uh, David hadn't imagined. And the new scenario is actually Saul's kingdom would come to an end by Saul actually ending it himself. And so Saul ends his own life in verse 4 of chapter 31. He says to his armor bearer, draw your sword and run me through, or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. But the armor bearer was terrified, wouldn't do it, so Saul took his own sword and fell on it. Saul brings his own kingdom to an end. That's a sad day for Israel. But let me tell you, it's a terrible day for the Philistines. They might say, how come? Because it seems like they're on top and they've landed heavily and they're the winning side. They certainly don't think there's anything bad in that day for them because they spread their good news, or if you like, their gospel, everywhere in verse 9. So what happens? They find Saul, they cut off his head, they strip off his arm and they send messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim the gospel in the temple of their idols among their people that they have won. It is interesting, isn't it? When you've got to start doing gospel work with your idols, uh, that's a bit of a turn off in the books because the idols haven't got the foggiest what's going on, but you've got to tell them what's going on. That rather tells you that uh, you might as well not bother. But it does seem at this point that the good news is that they have won in every way, they've got land back, they've uh, uh, come back with uh, all the spoils and the bodies that matter. It's just that in that great victory, they have put on their greatest destroyer onto the throne of Israel. This is their last win. From now on, they'll be fighting David. And every battle will be this kind of disaster the other way. See, my friends, here's the point. This is the thing to never, ever forget until from now until the time you die. And that is that defeat is never defeat for God's people. might look like that. It never is. Best place to see that is the cross. It seems like at the end when Jesus died, that was the end. The line drawn through his people. But the death of Jesus just opened the door for God's king to save his people. And as Jesus died on the cross, he took the punishment that his people deserved, but he absolutely destroyed death with his resurrection. And soon a different gospel will be preached. Now it's worth remembering when you read the headlines about another Christian being taken to court another Christian being killed by ISIL, another Christian being defeated in one way or another. Defeat 
is never defeat. God's working in that very situation to create a path for his son to come in and save. That is how it is. And defeat is never defeat. So God is good in victory, but God is good in defeat as well. Where does that leave us? But if you're someone who is uh, new to Christians, I think the advice of this passage is don't be a Philistine. In other words, don't think that God's cause has finished just because the tide seems to be turning in favour of those who oppose him. It seems on the face of it that God's people might be taking big hits, suffering great casualties, few in number, demoralised. But look at chapter 31 and the printout seems to be that everything is over for God's people. <coughs> but if that was really the case, this would be the last page you'd be reading. You won't be turning over the next page next week to discover there's something new about to begin. Although it might seem to be the worst time for God's people, especially if you're an unbeliever in Britain at the moment and Christians seem to be a beleaguered group of people, it might seem the worst time to join them. Let me tell you, they've got a great king heading their way. This is as good a time to join as any. Don't be dazzled by what seems to be success in those who oppose them. Put your trust in God's people. They are about to receive a new king and be part of his kingdom. Join now. Come into that kingdom yourself however defeated it might look in many ways. Secondly, if you're in some, someone who's been around church circles for a while, let me say, forget the Philistines, learn a big lesson from David's men, his own people. Because it is easy, isn't it, for us to take snapshots of particular situations, difficulties that we're up against and just to cry and weep that God hasn't made the difference that we might expect him to. And the trouble with uh, doing that and crying is that in the end, if it doesn't lead to a conversation with God, it will lead ultimately for us to give up our confidence in him. In other words, to give up our faith. That's important for us to realise because church people get the same weather forecast as everybody else. In other words, storms hit us, same as they hit everybody. Now we can, in those times, make the response that everybody else makes, which is just to cry, in verse 4. And then, as in verse, uh, as in verse uh, six, uh, to become bitter in spirit. 
but while it's easy for church people to be like David's men in that way, it is actually really important that we understand that there is another option. Be careful there, because church people can be like David's men if it's not going hunky-dory and the clouds suddenly come and the last straw comes and then that's followed by a further straw. It's possible at that point to walk away, to be absolutely down and bitter. And it's a, it's a threat for people who are wonderfully confident about God in the, in the way they've stood up in public and spoken about him, but in the end, it knocks the stuffing out of them. And the conversation that they have with God uh, whittles down to zero. That's a danger for church people too. But if you want to really live in the light of God's goodness, then maybe David is helpful to go home uh, thinking more about. Because the key to see winning in our dark days is just simply speaking to God about them. So that in our weakness we find strength in the Lord our God. The worst days make us spiritually stronger even before anything else changes on the ground. Maybe that you feel completely helpless. You've got nowhere to go. You don't know who to turn to. You've run completely out of options. But this is doable. You can still talk to him. And once strength starts there, in our personal relationship with the Lord our God, then don't be surprised for the flow-on effects that we've seen tonight in David. That God will start speaking wonderfully about how to serve him well in those difficult days. Don't be surprised if little things start working out in the ordinary play of life. There might even seem setbacks at one point, but actually are God's wonderful sovereign ways of taking you forward. And don't be surprised if at the end of that experience you come out with great gain and you've lost nothing. That is what the goodness of God looks like on really hard days for those who trust him and who speak to him when the clouds cover up their view. We know there's a God who hears every word. Well, let's uh, remember that as we uh, talk to God. I'll then take questions after that. But remember how uh, uh, David had a priest uh, called Ahimelech and um, that priest uh, brought him some help uh, because uh, he produced an ephod and David was able to hear God speak through that. Well, Believe it or not, we are even more fortunate than David. Because in Hebrews chapter 4, in verse 14, 16, 
we find these words. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Here's the punchline. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let's pray that God will reveal himself to us in the hard days in this way. Our Father, we thank you that we can approach your throne of grace with confidence, knowing you hear every word, so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Please help us to discover your goodness on the worst days of our lives as we speak to you, as in that conversation we remember what you've done, we remember what you promised, and we are able to strengthen ourselves in the Lord our God. We pray that he will please give us grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. Please speak to us from your word to help us know how to serve you in those hard days. Please would you adjust the circumstance of our lives that might take us forward to see your goodness more clearly. And please, would you grant that we might find your blessing and see the gains that you give your people as you take nothing away from us but add to all your blessings through the experiences that we uh, go through. So we pray that you would please keep our confidence levels in you high knowing that with you, defeat is never defeat. Help us to live in the light of that, for the glory of your name. Amen. Amen.